dismiss now to Children's Church for those families that desire that ministry. While they're doing that, please open up your copy of God's Word to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3. As we carry on in our exposition of this glorious letter. How in the world are we going to make it? How in the world are we ever going to make it? How many times in history do you think that question, that cry, has gone up? Thousands and thousands and thousands of times, no doubt. When you think about all the dramatic stories that come down to us from the past, you know, when people step out in faith to go forth to seek a better place, a better land, a better way of life to only find when they get there hardship and toil and struggle and how quickly the cry goes up. How are we going to make it? Let's just turn back. Let's just go back to where we were. It was better there. It was safer there. And you know, when someone succumbs to the temptation to make a break for it, like the lead horse out of the barn, many people follow. Well, as we continue down the path of the Christian life, this is what it's like for us. We hear the calling of God, the calling of Christ, and we step out in faith to go forth, to receive, to live the Christian life. And that's when all the problems start, right? The struggles and the trial. We have attacks and temptation from outside of us and welling up from within us. And the cry goes out even from among the household of faith. What are we doing How are we going to make it? This promised new life that includes the long journey of faith, it's too hard. Let's abandon it and go back to the old way. Tempted to abandon Christ. Well, the author of the letter of Hebrews, he's writing to the Hebrew church that has experienced great apostasy, has experienced the departure of many who confessed Christ, and the question comes up, well, how are we going to make it? Look at all these who have abandoned us and left the faith and turned back. How will we make it? And so this is where the author of Hebrews turns directly now to address that question in chapter 3. We'll make it because of the Lord and His sovereign grace. We'll be preserved as His special possession in the Lord Jesus Christ, having laid the foundation of who Christ is and what He's done for us. Now the author of Hebrews, he lays out the glorious doctrine of the preservation of the saints, of the perseverance of the saints. We're going to make it because of God's grace and He holds us fast. So as we're pounded upon by the world and our hearts are fearful and filled with trouble and trial, we cry out, how will we make it? And the answer that comes back to us is, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. And I have chosen you and loved you with a special love, an everlasting love. So trust me and obey and keep on keeping on. Let's hear God's word from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, 
the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Amen and amen. May the Lord add his special blessing to the reading and the preaching of his word of promise. Well, that brings us to our first main point this morning. The heavenly calling to Christ creates a holy person, a holy contemplation, and a holy confession that perseveres to the end. That's what the author is showing us here in verse 1. How are you going to make it? How are you going to make it in this world? God's sovereign grace from beginning to end your life is enveloped in the grace of God. And that's what we're confronted with right here in verse 1, the reality of electing grace and persevering grace and the grace of the means of grace whereby we confess God's grace. He gives us everything that we need to make it. And as we come to the Word of God, which is filled with promises, we're confronted with wonderful reasons to have confident assurance in the Lord who calls us. The half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ summarized this well in his letter when he says, if you draw near to the Lord, he will draw near to you. The promise to persevere in God, in Christ. And as we draw near, the Lord gives us gospel commands followed by specific things for us to remember as we run the race. He says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Who are the ones preserved in God's grace? Who are the ones who persevere all the way to the end? Well, simply stated, and yet way beyond our understanding, they are the elect ones in Christ Jesus. Those who were called by the Father, by the heavenly calling. Those who are recreated by the power of the Holy Spirit, who hear the gospel call, who see the Lord Jesus and receive him and rest in him and they are given new life. They make a holy contemplation throughout their lives, and they make a holy confession throughout their lives. He says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, can you imagine the comfort that these believers received in hearing those words? Brothers and sisters, you're holy. Holy brothers and sisters, imagine all this persecution and the trials that they were faced with, and they hear the word, you're holy. You're sanctified. You're in Christ. It's all because of God's grace. You know, when you read the word holy saints in the Bible, you who have confessed with the mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord 
And you who have believed in your hearts that God has raised him from the dead, it should thrill your soul to read this word. Holy saints, what a gift, what a glory. You've been sanctified and saved in Christ. You see, these holy brothers and sisters, they've been called by a heavenly calling. Not an earthly calling, not a dead calling, not the calling of sinful men and women, but the calling of God. Jesus declares in John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. You know, brothers and sisters, you cannot put God on do not disturb. I don't know about you, but I'm so tired of all the spam calls, all the political calls. My phone is blowing up. And so for as much as I hate to do it, I put my phone on do not disturb so that the calls go straight to voicemail. And then I listen to them to see if they're legitimate. And I call the person back. But you know, you can't put God on do not disturb. And when he gives forth the holy calling upon your life to come to Christ by his grace, it's irresistible. You respond. You come joyfully and willingly because it's the heavenly calling. For God, by grace you've been saved. It's the gift of God in Christ. You know, that's what happened to Lydia in Acts chapter 16. I love the story of Lydia. Here's this woman. She was a successful businesswoman living in Thyatira. She was working in the fashion industry, and she just so happened to hear the gospel of God preached by Paul. And what do we read? The Lord opened her heart. That's shorthand for he gave her new life. He opened up her heart. She heard the word. She received the word. She rejoiced in the word. She lived out of the truth of the holy salvation in Christ. She heard the heavenly calling. So brothers and sisters, friends, have you heard the heavenly calling? Are you a holy saint? Are you trusting in the righteousness of another one? Namely, Christ, the one who lived the perfect life, who lived in each and every way to the commands of God's holy law in perfection so that he could go forth to the cross and pour out his blood, the blood of the new covenant, to take away our sin and our pain and our shame forever from the face of God Almighty that we might know the call and the life of salvation in Christ, that we might know perseverance and preservation as his people well if that's true of you then you are about a holy contemplation and a holy confession a holy contemplation and a holy confession isn't it interesting how over and over in the word of God we receive admonitions and encouragements from God's word which includes gospel commands not things like do this or you are lost but do this because you are found in Christ. You see, the inspired author here commands us to consider Jesus. Consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our 
confession. Here, the inspired author, he points his fellow brothers and sisters to the means of God's grace, whereby we get on the on-ramp, as it were, into experiencing the fullness of life in Christ. The Word of God read and preached and prayed and enjoyed and, and experienced in the sacraments, in the midst of holy worship, he commands us to consider Jesus. You know, the English word here translated, it just doesn't do the Greek justice because it's more than just the way we think about the word to consider. Well, I consider this, I consider that. No, in the Greek, it's a word that, that is reflecting upon deep, profound meditation. We're commanded to take our minds that have been recreated by the Spirit and to cogitate upon the gospel and Jesus. I love that word cogitate. We need to use it more. To mentally chew upon something, to deeply reflect upon it. We're commanded to consider Jesus. And that's what he's been doing the entire letter so far. He says, therefore, consider Jesus. All of chapter 1 and chapter 2 has been a considering of the Lord Jesus Christ, his person and his work and the glory of what he's done for us. He's the word of God in the flesh. He's the real and true fulfillment of all of God's promises. He's the fulfillment of the law. He's the Savior. I mean, can we ever stop meditating upon the glory of Hebrews chapter 1? It's awesome. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He's the radiance of God. He's the imprint of God. He's the exact nature of God, and he upholds all the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in majesty, and he is the Son over all things. He inherits all things. You know, I heard someone ask R.C. Sproul one time, R.C., if you were on a deserted island and you could only have one book, what would it be? And without hesitation, he said, Hebrews. And the guy kind of pushed back. You mean, what do you mean, R.C.? You wouldn't want Romans? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, I've, I've memorized Romans, but I'm still trying to wrap my mind and my heart around all the glory and the mystery of our Savior revealed in Hebrews. Hebrews is the New Testament commentary of the Old Testament in one volume. And R.C. wasn't diminishing he, uh, Romans. He was showing the glory of what it is we have in Christ. In Hebrews, we have to consider Christ. Don't you want a deeper understanding of who Christ is and what Christ has done for you, for the saints? Then meditate upon him. Consider him. And this is why faithful preaching is so important. You know, for the past 30 years, Doug has prayed over this congregation and prayed over the word of God to be preached each and every week and studied it and sought the Lord, and then faithfully come forth and proclaimed a fresh publication of God's word to you from the scriptures. 
There's nothing quite like that. Who does that for you in your life? To come near, to show you the mysteries of Christ, the glory of Christ, week in and week out, that you might meditate upon Christ, that you might be transformed by this, that you might know more perseverance and confidence. You know, this is why the Reformation shook the globe. And it's still reverberating throughout the globe because it was a reformation of worship whereby we put the word of God back in the center of worship in the language of the people, read and preached that we might consider Christ and the sweetness of God's promise to us in Christ. You know, I love the Dutch churches and the Dutch traditions that they have and over the last several years, I've gone up to Grand Rapids a lot for Calvin Seminary and worshipped at many Dutch churches. And, I, and I, I love what they do when the sermon begins. You know, in the Dutch church, a short sermon's 45 minutes. And all of a sudden, when the sermon begins, you see all these parents pulling out big, fat peppermints, and they give them to the kids. And the implied instruction is you don't go chomping on the peppermint right off the bat. No, you savor the peppermint. And every time you hear a promise from the lips of the preacher, you turn that peppermint over in your mouth. Roll it on your tongue to remind you of the sweetness of God's promise for you in Christ Jesus. And you know when you're enjoying something sweet, you just can't help but let other people know about it. Mmm. This is good. Well, Christ is the heart of the message, the heart of the gospel, the heart of the scripture. He's the yes and the amen of all of God's sweet promises to us. And as we contemplate Christ, as we cogitate upon the gospel, we make holy confession. And we confess Christ. How is Christ the message that we confess? This is what the author says to us. He says, Christ is the apostle, the messenger, the high priest of our confession. Well, how is he our apostle, the apostle? Well, apostle means messenger appointed with a message and sent to deliver a message. And you see, Jesus Christ, he came forth as the word made flesh, as the God of the angel armies. And angel means messenger. And he came forth as the apostle to deliver the message. And he himself was and is the message. Christ, the message of life, the message of grace and peace from the Father. So that we can stand before the holy God of the universe as sinners and confess Christ and know peace and know fellowship with the God of the universe. So what's our confession? Behold the Lamb of God who was slain, who takes away sin. For Christ, our Passover Lamb, he has been sacrificed. And as the Word of God and as the faithful high priest, Jesus as the Lamb of God, he suffered for us that we might know peace and life and joy and fellowship that we might know confident assurance. Hallelujah, as we press on. So how do we apply this? Well, we must remember who called us. We have to meditate upon the gospel. 
We need to remember that we are in Christ by grace from beginning to end, and he will hold us fast. We need to use the the means that he's given us to diligently grow in our assurance and in our perseverance. Well, that brings us to the second main point this morning. The heavenly calling to Christ creates the setting for perseverance, a holy house, and a holy household. That's what we see in verses 2 to 6. Brothers and sisters, we need to see that by God's grace, the holy context and the holy setting for our perseverance and our preservation is the church, the household of God, the body of Christ. You know, St. Augustine said something that people don't like. He said, he who will not have the church as his mother will not have God as his father. That's strong words, but true. The heavenly calling to Christ creates the setting for perseverance, and the setting is the holy house, the holy household, the congregation, the called out ones, the called together ones in Christ. It's important for us, again, to remember the the context for the writing of this letter. The author writes to Jewish Christians who had many within their midst, Hebrew Christians, that had turned away and rejected Jesus and gone back to the temple and gone back to the sacrifices that are empty without the Lord. And so the author appeals to these Jewish Christians to consider Moses himself as a witness against those who have, have left, left, and also as a witness to encourage those who are holding fast. He says, consider Moses. Remember Moses. He was the archetype sinner saint in the Old Testament. Nobody like Moses. Faithful in God's house. He led the people out of Egypt. He led them through the Red Sea to the mountain of God's law. He pointed them to the promised land. He was faithful And yet Moses longed for the day of Christ to come. Moses longed for Jesus. You see, Christ was faithful in all things as the greater Moses, as we heard sung just before the sermon. So don't look back to Moses who was just a redeemed child in the household of God, but continue looking to Jesus Christ who is Lord and King over the household of God. Remember one of Moses' primary tasks was to oversee the building of the tabernacle. That place where God would come forth and dwell by his spirit, the Shekinah glory, the, the fire and the smoke in the midst of the people, the tabernacle which became the temple. It was God's house on earth. But you know, a house really isn't a house without a household. So hallelujah and the promise of the true lamb to come. Israel was God's chosen people and he brought them in and around his house as his household to behold the glory of the Lord. Well, indeed, Moses led God's people to the earthly dwelling of God. But how much more faithful the eternal son of God who both leads his people into the household of God and is himself the household of faith. We come into his body. 
the body of Christ. So we see this in verse 3, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder. Christ is the greater Moses. He has greater glory by far because he is the holy temple and he creates the holy worshipers that come into his church, into the bride of Christ. Well, the author presses deeper in verses 4 to 6. He appeals to the Hebrew Christians and to us that we come into the true household of God built by the Lord Jesus Christ who is the sum and the substance of the covenant of God's grace. Jesus isn't a servant by way of adoption. He is the willing servant that came forth as the faithful son of God to save the people the Father had given to him. And through his work of redemption accomplished and applied by the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God, it grows and expands. People from every tribe and people group and nation, not separated by any physical thing, but one in Christ, one in the Spirit, as we read in Ephesians 4, so that we're called into Christ and to go forth in Christ to see his kingdom expand and grow. Well, Moses was a servant in the building of the, the covenant kingdom, but Christ is the greater Moses because he's the Lord and the Savior over the church. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the architect. He's the builder. He's the rock of ages that we must build our lives on. Us and our children our families, because only Jesus has the power. Moses as the servant, he didn't have power, but Christ as the son overall, he has all power. And that's why at his resurrection and ascension, he gave forth the great commission, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So go, go. So how are you going to persevere in this life? Well, it takes the household. It takes the house of God. It takes his church. It takes us coming into the Lord Christ and doing life together as his body. That's how we apply this. You know, we often take God's good gifts and we make them more important than his best gifts to us. And this is the sin of idolatry. We can't replace God with anything. Nothing can take the place of the Lord and his bride. And the Lord calls us to lovingly serve our families. And we are not doing that faithfully if we don't identify with the visible church. Praise the Lord, we receive new members today. And we look to Christ, the head and king of the church. And we grow in our perseverance as he preserves us by his grace. Well, that brings us to our final thought this morning. The heavenly calling to Christ creates the mark of perseverance, which is confident faith in the faithful one. This is so beautiful in verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So are you in the household of God? then it's by the power of God's grace that he has united you to the Lord Jesus Christ through the gift of the Holy Spirit 
in the gift of faith so that as you look to the son of righteousness, you have his love and that glorious gospel hope bubble up in you. It overflows your heart and your life as you make confident prayers and praise and invitation to others to come. Our hope in Christ. You know, without a true and living faith in Christ, a person may confess Christ for a season. They may even identify with the church for a season, but eventually they just fade away and are judged. And it's true at sometimes those who do have a true and saving faith in Christ, they do begin to turn away because of the trials of life and the temptations and the attacks. They begin to drift from Christ, and that's a dangerous place to be. But the Lord Jesus, who is the head of the church, is also the good shepherd. And so he acts, and he, he moves, and he leaves the 99, and he comes for the one, and sometimes he even uses painful circumstances in our lives to wake us up, to look to him, to persevere in our faith, to remember our baptism, that we bear the, the mark and the sign of the covenant of grace, that we've been set apart as holy by God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, and, and we awaken to our danger that we have drifted from the Lord and we run back to him. And perseverant faith, preserved by God's grace, growing ever deeper in the knowledge and the experience that we are forgiven in Christ. And the author of Hebrews says, in doing this, we boast. You know you're growing in Christ when even in the moment of your backsliding, when you fall flat on your face, you can declare, and yet I am forgiven. Amen. Before the world, before the evil ones, before all those who would seek to, to tear you down, you can boast on my worst day. I'm more loved and forgiven than I could ever imagine in Christ. And on my so-called best day, I am more righteous in the righteousness of Jesus than I could ever imagine. And you boast in the Lord as one of his sons and daughters in Christ, in the family, a saint, a holy one, contemplating Christ, confessing Christ. And as that takes place, brothers and sisters, we experience more and more of the love of God which is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he's given us and our hearts just keep bubbling over with hope, hope, hope. And hope is beautiful. And hope is contagious. And we're reminded again and again that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, this is good news. This is the best news to us because God who cannot lie has given us his son Christ to save us. Brothers and sisters, this is the best news. But you see, for you all that have not yet closed with Christ, this is good news for you too. Because even here, even today, he extends his call to you yet again to come. Come to Jesus. Close with Christ. Receive the love. Rest in him. Rejoice in him. 
You'll never regret it. Come, find life. That's how we apply this. We have to ask ourselves the question, what are we holding on to for life? What are we holding on to in this life as the most important treasure? What do you talk about day by day as the most precious thing to you? What is it? If it's not Jesus Christ, it's not enough. You know, as good Americans, we often fall prey to the false sola. Not solus Christus, Christ alone for salvation, but solus selfus. I just made up a Latin word. I hope you appreciate that. Solus selfus. I can make it on my own. I can do it. I'm a good American. American theology is horrible because it preaches the, the false lie that, well, God helps those who help themselves. No, he doesn't. God's not in the business of, of helping people. God is in the business of saving sinners and bringing glory to himself. And only Jesus is weighty enough to hold you down for all eternity and to satisfy your heart. You know, I never forget I heard uh, Tom Brady interviewed after winning his seventh Super Bowl title. And the interviewer said, Tom, what was the, the best, what was the greatest Super Bowl title out of the seven? And without hesitation, he said, the next one. You see, it's never enough. It's never enough. Nothing is enough to fill your heart with satisfaction and love and peace and joy than Jesus. So brothers and sisters, let's rejoice in this truth. As Christ says, come, consider me. Contemplate me in the gift that you have in me. Make that holy confession and profession and joy to all those around you. Live the life. Keep pressing on. I'll hold you fast. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Almighty, we praise your holy name. We thank you for your glorious gifts to us, all of them, and the greatest of which is Jesus, who is greater than all the angels, and greater than Moses, greater than David, for he is our life, our salvation, our King. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would fill our hearts with your glorious presence today, that you would seal them ever deeper by the gift of faith, that holy taproot that holds us to Christ and the promise that we would live confident, assured lives, that we are forever enveloped in your grace. We will persevere to the end. We will make it because you our God Almighty, our Savior, who has so perfectly loved us, please give us hearts of praise that we might manifest to the watching world both with our lips and our lives that we belong to you. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.